0: Yeah, I'm really excited about this. So I, as I said, I, I've been asking the Lord and just trying to discern, okay, you know, what does, what's this season to look like? What does this, you know, we, we I know that as a community, it's been uh, a real journey the last number of years or decades or however you want to frame that. And we have this, we've, this language of a new season that we're in together, Right? Okay, so what does that newness look like? What informs that newness? What informs being healthy in our call as a people? Because what we know is that God has called us as a people to participate in the things of the kingdom. We know that that is true, right? I believe, I hope that we know that that's true. We're called to make a difference in some way. But the world is so very needy. And so what does it look like for us? Um, and I'll talk in terms of like kind of the, the vineyard movement. I don't think that it's specific to the vineyard movement. Different parts of the body have different areas of Scripture that they would put right in the middle of their of their target. Right? Right, right at the bullseye. Um, and really, in a lot of ways, for... For the vineyard, it is It is Isaiah 61. And uh, by the way, this is just going to be a regular thing where you'll get to weekly mock me for my handwriting. That's just going to kind of be a thing. I hope that's okay. That's going to be part of my shtick. Part of my brand is going to be the pastor who has lousy handwriting. Um, Isaiah 61. Isaiah um, 61. We're going to read it. I encourage you to open it up. We're not going to read the whole chapter. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through to 3. And, uh, and we're going to park here for probably until Advent. Um, and part of what my goal this morning is to explain why. Why we're going to do that. That's a long time to spend on a few passages. So let's read it. And I just want to invite you, if you can, responsibly. I know some of you are watching kids. If you can responsibly close your eyes, if you're comfortable with that. And allow yourself to engage um, the language. This is, so the scriptures are, are we, this was written by a poet. Isaiah was a, was a prophet, but he was also a poet. He also used powerful language. And um, and so there's uh there's, there's imagery that gets evoked, and I want to invite you to close your eyes and allow that imagery to stir. Actually, no. Before no, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this in a minute. We're gonna read it, and then we're gonna and then we're gonna have Don share something because this is very kind of appropriate. So Isaiah writes. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. This passage is right at the center of how Jesus understood the gospel. Right at the center of it. And it's important that the gospel means something to us. It is so important, you guys, that the gospel does not become an idea. The gospel means something specific to us. These words were written to a specific people in a specific situation of great need. And so to help kind of anchor this in some of our reality, Don reached out this week with a story, a God story. And so we talked about it this morning. And And Don, if you want to just come share. And this is part of what, this, what the specific purpose of the kingdom looks like today, like this week or
1: So I'm Dawn, and I alluded to it during worship earlier that September is a really difficult month for me, and uh, I'll tell you why. So seven years ago, at the beginning of September, I went from one day being totally what I thought healthy and functioning to becoming almost completely paralyzed from the waist down. I wasn't completely paralyzed, but I lost... Probably 95% of the sensation from my waist down. So I was in a walker or wheelchair. I was having significant panic. I thought I was going to die. We didn't know what was going to happen. Um, Ella was two, our daughter. And Bryce was just a little over three. And our family went into crisis mode. And through about, I think I was in the hospital over a week doing all these tests, trying to figure out what was going on. And through the process, found that on my spinal cord, there were two areas of um, injury that had occurred that my immune system actually was stripping the membranes of the nerves off of my spinal cord. And so that was what was causing this numbness and inability to walk. Six months later, I was diagnosed, diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And I was told at the time that because of the severity of that first episode that it was highly likely that within a year or two I would be fully confined to a wheelchair, that I might not walk again, and that the disease could take away other functions as well. And so the prognosis was not good. It was very bleak. We moved into a bungalow. We kind of prepared for what would be the worst and not knowing what the next handful of years would hold and uh, so I started on medication and we just we began to pray and just call out to the Lord and say Lord we know that this is the prognosis that's been given we know things look really bleak and we are trusting you in whatever the future looks like. And so with some wisdom from the doctors, I i was also diagnosed with celiac at the time and changed my diet and just did a bunch of good self-care stuff and prayer. And um, so over the last couple of years, each year I go back and I get an MRI. And I shared three years ago after my MRI that there had been no progression of the disease. And at that time, the neurologist looked me in the eye and said, You're normal, but let's see what the future holds. And so each year, we continue day by day to say, Lord, we trust you in this. What do you have for us? And I know that there was um, a moment when people were praying for me that I felt God's presence physically touch my body. And God speak to me and say that that I, I was in his hands, that he was in control. And so I have been learning to walk that out. And sometimes fear and anxiety comes. Sometimes my body remembers what it's been through. And yet I can say, he is my healer. I went to the neurologist again last week. The MRI was clear. There's a few scars still there that I have to be careful of. The neurologist looked at me and said, you're normal. Whatever you're doing, don't stop. So I said, diet and Jesus. <laughs> That's it, and so I am just so thankful to to physically experience God's healing in my body, and to continue to trust Him for what the future is going to look like.
0: I also just want to encourage us as a as a community of people that. Um, it's important for us to know what God is doing in our lives and, and for our gatherings to not just be worship, like uh, singing, and not just uh, a sermon or not just a, whatever it looks like, but to actually contain the stories of what God is doing. Um, and by the way, it's okay, just like in the Bible, to have warty God stories, Right, because a lot of our God stories have a few warts on them, and that's okay. Because we're in good company, because that's what most of the stuff in the Bible is like. Right. So, on an ongoing basis, I want to do two things. If you have something specific that's going on that you're feeling compelled to share, and you want to let me know in advance, please like reach out and let me know. Um, But the other thing I want to do on a regular basis is just to take like five minutes and just if if. If there's anything for somebody to share that God is doing, just to share it with us, because it's about two things. It's about a declaration of something that God is doing that helps us identify. When we speak something out loud, it solidifies. uh, It it solidifies something in our brain. But the other thing is that it lets us know how God is at work because He is at work. So I just want to take a moment and open this up. Is there anyone else who has something that they're feeling compelled to share of how God is how there's the movement? say God stories, that sounds like I prayed for somebody and they got healed. Brady's got something. So this is the movement of God in your life. And it can be a God story too.
2: This is a different God story. Uh, The last few days I was with um, a bunch of people in Kelowna, so David Roos and whatnot, and David and Anita were sharing a story. So your passage talks about beauty for ashes. Right? And they were talking about the, the concept of you know what, there's so many times where we're praying and it's like we want the kingdom to come and it doesn't seem like it's coming right now. And so we go to, well, it either came or it didn't. And they were sharing this story of this indigenous lady who had a really bad knee and they were praying for her and they prayed for her over quite a period of time. And what was really interesting is the knee wasn't changing, but she had a massive amount of dysfunction in her life that she just she just actually couldn't function. And what was happening as they were praying for her knee is she was coming back week after week and saying, everything's changing in terms of how much energy I have, in terms of how much clarity I have. And so what David and Anita were saying was, Sometimes we have to look for the beauty in the ashes. So we're praying for Sandra. We're praying for all sorts of situations. And so it's not the kingdom either came or didn't. It's how is the kingdom coming in this situation, which keeps us from massive disappointment and cynicism and giving up and saying, we prayed for this, and God, you didn't come through. It's like, what is the kingdom in, in the ashes? And sometimes it's beauty for ashes, and some of the ashes are gone, and now we've got the beauty. Uh, and sometimes it's like, what is the beauty in the ashes?
0: That's good. Well, and just to give away punchlines, because I'm in the habit of doing that as well. Um, a part of the wrestle with this that we're going to be working through over the course of the next month and a bit is going to be the, the place that we find ourselves, which is being caught in between the the promise, which is where the picture gets painted of what is to come and the, and the fruition of the promise, right? The, the, the presence. This is the kingdom coming in the kingdom here business. And this is part of the wrestle of, of that is recognizing the approach, recognizing the nearness, recognizing the here, and sometimes recognizing the not, the not yet here, right? And so the emergence of the kingdom in that story is stunning, right? Because God's not a magician, very rarely does he snap his fingers and the, and and all of a sudden the rabbit's there, right? Um, yeah, the thing that Anne shared, I, you know, I'm going to read this again, Isaiah 61. And um, if you have it accessible to you in some written form, please pull that out. And if that's a Bible, which is a beautiful way to... Read the scripture. Um, Isaiah 61, if it's on your phone or whatever. Um, But, you know, as you were talking, Ange, I had sort of this picture come to mind. um, And and because of the mixed ages, I I won't share all of this. But, you know, the scene, so Schindler's List, the the film, the black and white film that was out in whatever that was, the early 90s or something, um, was black and white right how many how many of you guys have seen that film okay just about all of us so black and white except for one thing does anyone remember the one color that was there was there was one scene where there was color does anyone you guys know what I'm talking about I've got one hand anyone else remember that what's that no not gold it was yeah little red cloak coat the little girl was, was in a scene and you see this she's running through and you see that she's wearing a red coat and everything else is in black and white through the whole film except for this coat and this coat shows up again then later on, on a conveyor belt right and I think it's really important as we, I know you guys are also have a habit of having pastors who cry. This is the only place that I ever get emotional, on my face, is in front of people. Um, so I think I'm in good company there. Um, it's really important when we encounter anything that has to do with the gospel, particularly this passage in Isaiah. Um, it would be it would be far more helpful for us to try to imagine for those of us who. Um, who, who are in places of, of, and I know this word is, is weighty and has like, you know, political correctness ramifications, but I think it has a lot of merit too, um, who have positions of privilege in society, um, to try to imagine like this, this passage in Isaiah 61, it, could, it would be far more appropriate to consider it being written to First Nations people in the height of the oppression of Western culture coming and, and trying to do what Western culture tried to do. This was written for an oppressed people. And I just... You know, when, we, I, when Andrew's sharing what the significance of the orange is, that's what came to my mind, was a world that was in black and white, except for this one piece of dignity, this one piece of beauty, right, that was taken. And so for us to approach the gospel in such a way that we become desperate for the things of God, desperate for the purposes of the kingdom, that looks like stepping outside of our privilege and trying to figure out what it looks like to need Jesus desperately for these just so that we can have our orange shirt back, if we can try to identify and to learn, and because uh, you know what, that other thing is that that helps us to empathize too. You know, and by the way, Nikki a couple of weeks ago came to me and, and asked about if we could, as a on an ongoing basis, do a land recognition here when we when we open and gather. Um, and I know that that's a bit of a stretch for some of us. Um, culturally. and I I mean, I I grew up in this area and was completely ignorant to all of the concerns of First Nations people and all of the things that I had stepped into in terms of a place of privilege. I had no idea. And so maybe some of you guys are in that situation as well. Part of the reason why I'm a little bit more aware is because I lived, I spent seven years living in uh, a a very, very uh, indigenous neighborhood in Winnipeg. Uh, with First Nations people. And so that kind of was a very big eye-opener for me. But there is something about the humility of that act. And so that's something that I think, you know, we talked about, um, and perhaps even for next week as we gather for Thanksgiving, which is going to be a place of Thanksgiving and worshiping together. Um, But, you know, we need this stuff so much if we don't posture ourselves towards the gospel. It's very easy for us to just pick and choose how God transforms what we what we get to partake of. And uh, that's not going to transform any, anybody. I don't think. Um, that was not a direction I intended to go with this, but I think it's important. I think it's important that we step into a place of humility. From humility, particularly, it's going to be really hard for us, for many of us not for all of us, but for many of us in the room, it's very hard for us to hear the words of Isaiah and to not theologize about them. We want, to, we want to try to understand it from a spiritual perspective or from a theological perspective, and those are valid, but to the first hearers of this, this was to a people who were in exile, a people who felt judgment, and this was hope, powerful hope for something. This was the, this was the reminder that God had not forgotten God had not forgotten. So I'm going to read this again. I want you to listen. Um, I want you to listen specifically for verbs. Now, <clears throat> don't want to get into a big talk about um, you know language structure, sentence structure. Um, but for those of us who might find it helpful, a verb describes an action, an activity, or a state. Right. Um, there's some, some of us in this room who are fidgeting. That's a verb. That's a, that's a, (laughs) it's one I appreciate and empathize with. Um, so I want you to listen for verbs and just note one or two that jump out to you. Actions. Be easier for those of you who are able to look at the text. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, To comfort all who mourn, provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I want you guys to feed back to me. What are the verbs that stand out to you? What are the words in this that jump out for you? Grieve? Okay. Yeah, what, what do you got? Anointed. Anointed. This is, again, this is, this is just for your entertainment more than anything, Okay. Proclaim. I'm going to make it smaller so that it's... Uh, Proclaim. What else? Provide. Bind up. Bind up. Yep. Restore. Re- restore. What's going to be interesting for those, because for, we all are likely going to have different translations, and so some of the words, this is part of the nuance of the next little while, is going to be unpacking some of this stuff. Okay, any more? Whoa, that was awesome. Release. Yeah.. Comfort. Okay. Give. Give? Okay. Bring. sent and upon, mm. okay, renew, open, okay, Liam, rebuild, okay, Planting. Okay, that's good for now. So as I was considering this passage, it struck me that at least most of these, in fact, I could make an argument for all of them. These are the verbs of the kingdom. These are the verbs of God. These are the actions of God. Right? And I can say that with some certainty because in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is right on the front end of his story. He has just spent uh, 40 days in the desert places, in the wilderness, fasting, exposed to the elements, and having his enemy, our enemy, try to reduce his character, try to alter and shift his sense of who he is, try to manipulate him. Right? And Rob... And rob him of his identity in a lot of ways. We'll get into that some other time. That's not this preach. But that's the context. Jesus has just been through an intense trial. And he comes in his first act. At least in Luke. Is to open up a scroll. Which is how they read the Bible back then. And to read To quote from this passage, to quote from Isaiah 61. Right? And what he says, what he says is this. So the scroll of the prophet Isaiah is handed to him. We're starting, so this is Luke 4, and we're starting in chapter 17. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it. He found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He said that, and then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and all the eyes of everybody in the the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is hundreds of years after the text is written. Hundreds of years after it's written to a very specific people in exile who could identify with being a a people with no power. A people with no hope. A people really in that space with no future on the face of things. They were a people in exile. And Jesus has the audacity to come out of the sticks. He comes, he comes out of the wilderness. He sits down and he says this thing that we've been reading for, I don't know what it is, 600 years or something like that, in the neighborhood of, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Right? And then the world goes on to be just as equally miserable and bloody as it ever was. <laughs> right. except except where Jesus was except where Jesus is so I was thinking about this I was, this is an important passage this is the center of Jesus' ministry this is how he announced himself Right, he announced himself by grabbing onto this language. Now I want to. I want. Well, okay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna wrap this up. We are actually getting close. There's a Greek word that I want to teach you guys. Some of you will know it. It's called basileia. And what basileia is, is the word that Jesus, pro- well, no, he was Aramaic, but anyway, it's a word that was used for kingdom, for empire, for authority, governing authority, basileia, right? So the Roman Empire would have been like Roma basileia kind of thing. Probably not that specifically because I won't pretend to know Greek, but, but this is the idea, Right? But this was also, when they speak of the kingdom of God, basileia is the word that they would use. This means kingdom. It means government, right? Well, there's an idea that snuck into the church that I love, and I failed to look up the original source. I'm going to find it. But this is hundreds of years old in the, in the course of the history of our people, of our church, of right? It's, this, it's auto basileia. And this is one of the things we talked about at portage: Auto Basilea. What that means, that means the kingdom of God in person. The kingdom of God in person. The world went on from the reading of that being as bloody and horrible and beautiful place as ever it was, except where Jesus was. The kingdom of God in person. This is the part where all of our understanding about the kingdom and mission and vision that God has called us towards ceases to be about a thing and becomes about a who. The presence of the kingdom in person. The body of Christ. The presence of the kingdom in person. Jesus. This is pow- to me, this is powerful stuff. Right? And if, uh, frustratingly, this is a variation on the bumper sticker thing like, what's the answer? Jesus is the answer. Right? What a frustration. Never say that to somebody who's in grief. Don't use those words. That's offensive because it can't possibly convey what it's actually, because what it means is it's true, is the thing. It's true. Because Jesus is always the answer to the question behind the question. But we need to be gracious in what that looks like. But we also need to apply that to ourselves too. Is Jesus the answer to my financial situation practically? Maybe, maybe not. But he is the answer to the anxiety and to the stress that keeps me from going to bed at night. Jesus is the answer there. Because he's the kingdom of God in person, not because he's some magician who snaps his fingers and suddenly I don't have stress. And it's really important as we move into a place of being a people who are about the kingdom outside of this, configura- outside of this gathering, outside of these walls or whatever these walls become as we shift and figure out what it looks like in the future to meet as we want to engage the kingdom out in the world around us, we need to remember that, it, that it, sure, it's about, the, it's about the verbs of the kingdom, except that Jesus is the word. He is the verb. Jesus is the verb, not the activity. That activity might be the conduit. It might be the, the thing that allows us to hear, but it's Jesus so what do you want me to do, God? That's the subtitle for this. What do you want me to do? Because that's kind of where we're at as a community. What should we do? We want to mean something in this world apart from just having a gathering on Sundays. We want to mean something in the, st- in the story of the kingdom. We want to mean something. What do you want me to do? And so I was asking that question too. And what came to me was a passage from Matthew 23. And this, is, this skips forward, and it's, it's maybe a bit of a stretch to correlate these things, but I don't think so, actually. So Jesus is getting ready to enter his final week before he's crucified. And he looks out over Jerusalem. Right? And here, I think we have the language of Jesus, the man... But we also find the language of the Father in this. And we find the the heart of the Holy Spirit in this language. This is Jesus, Who this is why we love Jesus, because he is, who, is how we understand the Spirit, and how we understand the Father is through Jesus. So, but Jesus, with the full resonance of Trinity, looks out over the city of God and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And so I really think that what it looks, God, what do you want me to do, God? I think he's looking for our yes, our willingness to Jesus, to to the verb of God, to Jesus, the word of God. Our yes. Our willingness. And that will be bigger. I mean, there, there will likely be initiatives and programs and specific ways that we engage the kingdom and see what it looks like to be outside the walls of the church and all that kind of stuff. But all of it is just about following the marker of the word. Which is, by the way, that's why I have a compass in front of this image here of Christ. Um, The compass is there because for me, this is part of what it looks like to continually orient back towards the word. And I do mean this, but I more specifically and way more emphatically mean the person of Jesus, which we don't get to without this. So it's kind of, but it's an important balance. Anyway, so what we're going to do over the next number of weeks is we're going to explore each of the verbs in this passage. We're going to look at them in context. Not quite one by one, but close. And we're going to look for the invitation in it and see what God does. Does that sound okay? Okay, so I'm going to pray, and then we can hang out, head out, um, whatever I did, just want to say next week is going to be a bit of a unique. We're not going to we're not going to jump into this quite. I mean, Thanksgiving is a really good response. Um, to it's a very Christian response. If it's not a Christian holiday, it doesn't matter because it's Thanksgiving. Um, so if you're able to be here, we're going to gather. We're going to worship. We're going to find some practical ways to be thankful to each to each other. Yeah, that's good, and to God. Um, and it will be a bit of a shortened service. I know that there are responsibilities, family responsibilities for some of us. So if you can come, come, we're going to be here. If you can't, that's okay. And then the week following, we've got some fun things that are happening. Um, but we're also going to jump into this series. So I'm going to pray and then we can head on. Lord Jesus, um, we want to say yes to you. We want to understand you as the very action of God, the very activity of God wrapped up in a person, the kingdom in person. Lord, be here in person. Be among us. Make us your body that reflects this, the kingdom of God in person. Lord, may we hear the words of the prophet And respond as those who are in desperate need of those words, who are in desperate need of those actions. God, so that you can light us up with them. Thank you for your kindness and for the movement of your spirit this morning. We pray that you'd go with us into our weeks. And Lord, that you'd give us eyes to see where you are moving, where there's the movement of of your kingdom and your presence in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. If you want prayer, there are people around you who you can ask for prayer. Um, We would love to do that. We are a praying people. And uh, apart from that, have a great week.